Hey folks, Andy Patton here. The Zags are set to take on the Dons of San Francisco in the WCC semifinals on Monday evening. And right after that, there will be a Bay Area battle between St. Mary's and Santa Clara for the right to play the winner of the Gonzaga-San Francisco game in the WCC championship on Tuesday. Today's show is going to be a look at those matchups and, of course, answering listeners' submitted questions since it's Mailbag Monday, all right here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Don't go away. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to take you through another month of March Zagness. This episode of Locked on Zags is brought to you by Stat Hero. Stat Hero is reshaping the way you play fantasy sports. Dozens of house-based games to play daily. No sharks, no funky props, just your skill versus the lineups you choose. Sign up today at stathero.com slash locked on. I also want to thank all of you who make this podcast your first listen of the day. It's March. It's a phenomenal time for Gonzaga basketball. It's also a great time to join the YouTube channel if you have not done so already. Just go to youtube.com, search Locked on Zags, hit that subscribe button. can check out all of the interviews from last week. We had some phenomenal guests on the show to kick off the month and can, of course, check out all of the previews as we get in to the NCAA tournament as well. So today is Mailbag Monday, and as a reminder, if you want to get involved in Mailbag Monday, you can do so by tweeting at me at ScoreZagScore or at LockedOnZags whenever you are thinking of a question. You can also respond to my tweet that I post on Sunday mornings, or you can email me at AndyPatton013 at gmail.com. However, the first segment of today's show is not going to be answering listener-submitted questions. We are instead going to give an update on what happened in the WCC tournament over the weekend. It was one of the most exciting WCC tournament weekends that didn't include Gonzaga and St. Mary's that I can remember. They've been doing this seeding for the last couple of years where the number one and the number two seeded teams do not play until Monday of the weekend for the WCC tournament. So we don't see Gonzaga. We often don't see St. Mary's or whomever ends up in that number two seed. And in many other years, that means that those games, I don't want to say they don't matter, but they rarely are going to have NCAA tournament implications. In years past, they have not had an NCAA tournament implications. This year, they have fairly significant NCAA tournament implications, and I want to talk about what happened in those games. Of course, we know Gonzaga is going to take on San Francisco. The reason for that is because San Francisco defeated BYU on Saturday evening, 75-63. to That was a monumental victory for the Dons, not just because they obviously have a chance to compete for the WCC title if they are able to beat Gonzaga on Monday evening, but even if they do not, They have basically cemented, barring a catastrophic change to the bubble or a bad, bad decision by the selection committee, San Francisco is going to play in the NCAA tournament for the first time since 1998. This is an incredible accomplishment for Coach Todd Golden, for fifth-year senior Jamari Bouye, for this team, a program that was so iconic 
you know, 70 years ago in the 50s and 60s when they had Bill Russell. They had a phenomenal program. They had Bill Cartwright in the 80s, a phenomenal player as well. And then their program got disbanded in the early 80s because of issues they were having with the community in San Francisco. They brought the program back a few years later, but have never been able to truly return to basketball prominence. Now they are there. They're going to play in the NCAA tournament again, barring some very strange decision-making. This win against BYU helped legitimately cement that, even if they do not beat Gonzaga on Monday evening. For BYU, this is probably the death sentence. We have said this a handful of times for BYU. Was their horrible four-game loss, uh, four-game losing streak in February, was that the death sentence? Was this game the death sentence? There's been a lot of those kinds of conversations. Ultimately, if we've repeatedly had to decide whether the game that they just lost was the final straw, they've probably already had it. (laughs) I think we've crossed the point where BYU is no longer a legitimate contender for a bubble spot in the NCAA tournament. Now, there are esteemed bracketologists, including last week's guest, Lucas Harkins, who still has BYU potentially right in that conversation for one of those first four spots. So they're not completely out of it. I think the loss to San Francisco is very damaging. It doesn't give them an opportunity to even compete for a WCC title. That's a tough sell for them. We know mid-major programs have to be not perfect, but really close to perfect. BYU was was frankly far from perfect this year. I think it, there are a lot of high major programs that you could make an argument are not as deserving as BYU, or at least it's a, it's close. It's a conversation, but BYU knew what they needed to do to make the NCAA tournament. And this winning this game was a part of it. It was a great game for the Dons. Khalil Shabazz, 22 points, 4 rebounds, 2 assists. He's been phenomenal for the Dons lately, playing some of the best basketball of his career. He started off the season pretty slow. He has been great lately, rocking the Rip Hamilton mask over his face after getting elbowed by Andrew Nembhard a few a few weeks ago, the last time these two teams met. Abuya had 18 points, 6 rebounds, 4 assists for the Dons in this one. He also had a thunderous dunk at the end of the game, which we'll talk about a little bit later in the show in a mailbag question. Uh, Barcelo had 18. Uh, Fisuni Traore had 16 and 12. I wanted to highlight that because he's a true freshman in the biggest must-win game of his career, dropping 16 and 12 when he was expected to be the third or even fourth big man on this roster. For him to step into a huge role because of injuries to the front court, drop 16 and 12 against a good USF front court with Patrick Tape and Yuhen Misalski. That's a good front court. For him to step up, have that kind of production, he's going to be really, really good. And I think you know you can listen to Jake Hatch at Locked On Cougars for BYU. He's talked about him a handful of times. This is a really talented young man. And I'm excited to see where his future goes. And frankly, not not too unhappy that he's probably going to have his best seasons when when BYU is no longer in the WCC. We'll talk a little bit more about this game later, but I also want to talk about Santa Clara and their game against number six-seeded Portland. Uh, There was some kind of joking a little bit on Twitter about how Santa Clara ducked Portland earlier this year. They had the opportunity to make up a game that had been previously canceled because of COVID. They basically just opted not to do it because at that time it would have been a quad four game for them. Winning it would have done very, very little to to help them in their quest for a potential at-large bid. Losing it would have hurt them significantly. So they basically just said, nah, we're we're not going to play the game. And and there was some kind of joking about that because Portland was on a hot streak and was playing well. And then, of course, Portland and Santa Clara ended up matching up, and it was kind of this fun, is Portland going to put the screws to them and really hurt their, their season chances here? 
by winning. They did not. Santa Clara won this one 91-67, handled it pretty easily. Uh, Jalen Williams, again, probably the best, outside of maybe Bouye, Jalen Williams might be the best NBA prospect in the entire conference that's not on Gonzaga's roster. He might be better than Bouye as an NBA prospect just because of his age. 24.6 boards, 3 assists. He made his first 6 shots. Was just complete money against the Pilots in this one. P.J. Pipes, who has been playing incredible basketball lately as well. He had 21 points, 5 boards, and 5 assists. And Yusuf Vrankic had 16 and 7. The big three for Santa, Cla- Santa Clara Williams, Pipes, and Vrankic really, really good trio of players. They're going to, if they continue to play this well, they're going to give St. Mary's a lot of problems. And if they win that game, they'd give Gonzaga some problems as well. If they end up playing in the NIT or some other postseason tournament, I think their odds of playing in the NCAA tournament are extremely low, obviously barring a defeat of Gonzaga in the championship game. But those three players, really, really talented. Chris Austin had 19 for the pilots, I just want to give another shout out. There's been there've been a lot of shout outs on this podcast, justifiably so, about Shantae Leggins and the job that he has done at the University of Portland this year. An incredible season for Shantae, one of the best first year coaches on the West Coast, obviously behind our boy Tommy Lloyd over at the University of Arizona. But Shantae had a phenomenal season and is going to have a very excellent continued coaching career on the bluff. So that leaves us with two more games in the WCC season, Gonzaga versus USF and Santa Clara versus St. Mary's, or excuse me, three more games, those two games. And then, of course, the winners of those two games will play on Tuesday at 6 p.m. in the Orleans Arena in Las Vegas. I will start with Gonzaga-USF. The Zags obviously won the first two matchups here, 78-62. The first time they played, you may remember this game, the Zags were only up three at halftime. Drew Timmy had a horrendous first half in that one. He ended up finishing with 23 points, led the team in scoring, had a much much better second half, found his footing, uh, found the shots that he wanted to take, had a really nice half. Chet Holmgren, 22 points, 9 rebounds, 4 blocks on 7 of 10 shooting, which is just, <laughs> it feels like what we've been expecting from him lately. But looking back at these lines when I was doing research for this show, I'm like, my God, he is so dominant and so effortlessly talented against a good front court. Again, Masalski's a very, very good big man in the WCC at USF, and, and for him to have that kind of line against them is just phenomenal. Bouye had 23 in that one, of course. Uh, not a very efficient shooting night for him. I think he was 9 for 20 in that game, but still uh, able to light it up pretty consistently. Next time these two teams played, similar outcome. Zags won 89-73. It was not quite as close at halftime. They were up 10, but it was still a pretty close game throughout most of the first half. The Zags ended up pulling away a little bit in the second half. A insanely physical game, a very poorly officiated game uh, on both sides for the most part, but the refs just kind of let both sides play. It got pretty ugly. It, of course, culminated in the incidental elbow from Andrew Nemhard that hit Khalil Shabazz and left him lying on the floor in a pool of his own blood while the refs continued to let the game go on, which was one of the most baffling things that I have ever seen happen in a college basketball game. It was very odd. Uh, the Zags, again, pulled away, won that one. Chet Holmgren, another monster night for him. 21 points, 15 boards, 6 assists. On 8 of 12 shooting, Drew Timmy had 29 and 8, excuse me, 20 points, 9 rebounds, 8 assists. Want to make sure I say that clearly. Nearly a triple-double for him. Shabazz had 17 and Bouye had 14 on 6 of 15 shooting. Goes without saying the primary things to look for in this game. How does Gonzaga's front court respond? Obviously, Drew Timmy had really had 20 points in both these, both these times these two teams played. Chad Holmgren was super good both times. They need that again. 
If those guys struggle for a full 40, either of them, if they struggle the way that they struggled against St. Mary's, this, this USF team is definitely good enough to give them a lot of problems if they don't step up and have really big games. Second game of the night on Monday evening, Santa Clara versus St. Mary's. Uh, these two teams split in the regular season. St. Mary's won the first one, 73-65, a nice little eight-point victory there. Kusi had 17 points and six assists off the bench. Santa Clara only had eight assists, and they had 13 turnovers. If that sounds familiar, it's because that was the case when Gonzaga played St. Mary's, of course, in their finale of the regular season. They only had four assists and 14 turnovers in that game. This is what St. Mary's can do to you. They force you to take ugly shots. They force you to turn the ball out back, the basketball over when those things happen. It's really, really difficult to beat them. Again, Santa Clara is a very good offense. They got held to 65 points the first time these two teams played. Williams and Pipes, Jalen Williams and P.J. Pipes, had 34 points combined. The rest of the team only mustered 31 points. They shot 11 of 30. The rest of the team did. That is the kind of thing that St. Mary's can do to you. If they can stop everybody but but Jalen Williams and P.J. Pipes from scoring the basketball, they're probably going to secure themselves another victory. However... The second time these two teams played, Herb Sendek's squad did pull off a five-point victory, 77-72. to Pipes had 21 in that one. He hit five threes by himself in that game against a really good perimeter defensive team in St. Mary's. For him to knock down five trays is incredible. Williams had 18 points and 10 assists. Those two guys have killed St. Mary's this season. Unsurprisingly, they've killed just about everybody they have played in the WCC, but if they have another good game against St. Mary's, they're going to make things really, really difficult. The big kicker for St. Mary's is, again, Tommy Cousy. Like I said, 17-6 and six the first time these two teams played, 16-6 and six the second time these two teams played. He is a menace in the pick and roll. He's great at finding open guys. He's great at getting to the rim. Santa Clara doesn't have a traditionally good rim protector the way that Misalski or, of course, Chet Holmgren are. So if he can get to the rim with ease, he's going to be able to finish. He's going to draw contact. He's going to get to the free throw line. If Santa Clara can't find ways to stop him from getting to the basket, they're going to have some problems in this one. All right, we got listener-submitted questions to answer in the second segment. Before we get there, though, I want to tell you all about Bet Online. There might be less football being played, but BetOnline.net has way more stuff to bet on this playoff season. From scores, totals, and player performance props to where the next fired coach is going to land, BetOnline is the number one spot for all things NFL betting in 2022. And it's not just football. BetOnline.net's basketball, hockey, boxing, and UFC odds coverage is the best in the business. From sports right down to your favorite Vegas casino games, BetOnline is your number one online wagering destination. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all of your favorite sports and play your favorite games. Today's episode is also brought to you by Run Your Pool. March Madness is only one week away. That means you need to start thinking now about where you're going to be running your brackets this year. Are you going for the usual or are you going for the best? We've done our homework here at Locked On and we're running our brackets with RunYourPool.com. Along with standard brackets, Run Your Pool offers game types, game types like Survivor or Pick X. They have options to edit scoring, and they offer more intel to make your picks. All stuff you won't find at ESPN or CBS. If you've got a business, Run Your Pool can help you take some of that madness magic and play alongside your employees or even gain customers. Plus, they offer full customer support, custom branding, and one of the easiest three-minute setups you'll ever find. Clearly, we believe in Run Your Pool because, like I said, we're running our brackets there ourselves. 
There is no truer test than that. If you want to play against us for a shot at a cash prize, join us at runyourpool.com slash locked on. And while you're there, create your own pool for your friends and family. Enter Pure Madness at checkout for $10 off your custom pool. All the rules and details will be available there. That's runyourpool.com slash locked on for your chance to win a cash prize. We look forward to seeing you there. All right, segment two, still Andy Patton, still locked on Zags. We're just about to start answering listener-submitted questions. I also want to thank all of you who have made Locked On Zags your first listen every day. Make sure you check out the Locked On Bracket Breakdown, coming out on March 14th right here on the Locked On Zags podcast feed and YouTube channel. College basketball expert Chris Gordy, myself, and betting expert Lee Sterling will be there to give you in-depth breakdowns on every matchup in the NCAA tournament. All right, this first question, in fact, all three questions from this segment are regarding the WCC. They come from our friend Christian. This first one, he says, the WCC tournament has been chalk thus far. Any takeaways from that? Ken Pomeroy mentioned that the top of the WCC is very much improved. Does this bode well for the WCC? I know that national parity is good for many sports, including college basketball, as fan bases stay connected and interested longer. Yeah, I think the conversation about whether parity is good or bad for mid-major conferences is actually a, a fascinating one that I am, will admit to not getting all the way into to answer this question here today. It's perhaps a better off-season off conversation to have. You look at certain conferences, like, for example, the Big West. I believe there was a stretch of time, like a nine-year period, where the Big West had a different winner every single year. That level of parity is probably bad. <laughs> that, that's too much parity. And, and obviously, the, you know, the, nobody's comparing the Big West to the WCC. They are dramatically different as conferences. But if, you, if nobody steps up as, like, the clear-cut, this is the good team, that can be a problem. When you have something like the Mountain West, where you have teams that are usually good, San Diego State is usually good. And then you have other teams that, you know, Wyoming is not usually good, but this year they're very, very good. Colorado State is usually good, but this year they were at a different level of good. You have programs like UNLV that are normally good, but this year are not very good. That kind of parity, where it's a bit less predictable year in and year out, I think that's good. The WCC doesn't have that. The WCC has a complete outlier among all mid-major programs in Gonzaga. They're a complete outlier in every sense of the way. But beyond that, St. Mary's is, is almost always good. They're rarely bad. Sometimes they're not quite as good. BYU was always near the top. And then after that, that it kind of rotated. USF is, is rarely bad, but again, wasn't always the best. Last year, Pepperdine was in that conversation. This year, they were the worst team in the conference. Like, There's a lot more parity that kind of spreads out there. But to get to what Ken Pomeroy talked about, the, not only is the top of the conference much improved, the bottom of the conference is not good. And so there's not a lot of parity there. I'm not surprised the WCC has gone chalk. I'm not going to be surprised if the end result is complete chalk, if Gonzaga beats San Francisco, if St. Mary's beats Santa Clara, if Gonzaga beats St. Mary's. Frankly, that's likely what is going to happen. So it's going to go completely chalk. I don't think that's necessarily that bad, but I think in terms of getting other people interested in the WCC would probably be better. If there was a little bit more parity, but again, if Santa Clara is suddenly very good and is playing in the championship game, people who don't follow college basketball are not going to think, oh, I wonder if Santa Clara is good now. They're just going to think, oh, Gonzaga is just playing some other no-name school. And that's not the WCC's fault. That's not something that they need to be trying to figure out how to solve. If people don't 
you know, some people just aren't going to care all that much, and that's just kind of part of the deal. But like when Portland wins surprising games this year, a lot of people who watch the conference are like, oh, cool, Portland's kind of getting better. They're improving. But that, that narrative hasn't really spread to around beyond just kind of like the junkies who watch West Coast Conference basketball outside of just Gonzaga. Next question again from Christian. He says, what will it take for BYU to make the big dance? They will need help from other teams, right? What, what are a few scenarios that might get the WCC that four-bid dream? Here is the deal. In my mind, there is one scenario in which the WCC gets four bids into the NCAA tournament. That one scenario is pretty simple. Santa Clara wins their next two games. They defeat St. Mary's in the WCC semifinals. They defeat Gonzaga in the championship. They steal the at-lar- or excuse me, they, they steal the automatic bid from the WCC. St. Mary's would still make the NCAA tournament even if they lost to Santa Clara. San Francisco would still make the NCAA tournament even if they lost to Gonzaga. Gonzaga very obviously would still make the NCAA tournament if they lost to Santa Clara in the WCC championship game. And of course, Santa Clara would have to make it because they would have taken that automatic qualifying bid. That is the way that the WCC gets four teams in the NCAA tournament. It's not the way that I want it to happen necessarily. It would be pretty rough to watch the Zags not only have lost to St. Mary's in their final regular season game, but losing to Santa Clara in the WCC championship would be pretty nerve-wracking heading into the NCAA tournament. But that is a way in which four teams make the big dance. For BYU... I just don't see it. I really, I don't see it. And I think I talked about it a little bit in the first segment. I think some of it is unfair in the sense that there are a lot of middling big power five schools. North Carolina was specifically mentioned and and they obviously having beat Duke in a really big game, they kind of have pushed themselves a bit outside of that conversation. But, you know, Oregon stayed in the conversation for a really long time. They had to get spanked by the two Washington schools in order to finally not be in that conversation. This is not a good Oregon team, and they got their bell rung by BYU earlier in the season, and they were still in the conversation with BYU throughout the year. BYU losing to San Francisco is not as bad as Oregon getting spanked by both Washington and Washington State, but quite frankly, they're both still in a somewhat similar spot. I don't think that that is entirely fair, but it is accurate. And what it unfortunately means is that BYU is very, very unlikely. Basically, every team that's even remotely close to the bubble would have to lose a bad game. A bad game. And I, 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 that's very unlikely to happen because you also have to figure out that there are, there are going to be bid stealers. I think the Mountain West has a real good chance of somebody who's not in that conversation right now, somebody other than Boise State or Colorado State or San Diego State, could win the Mountain West tournament. If that happens, they steal a bid. Obviously, Santa Clara, we talked about them being a potential bid stealer. I think that's unlikely, but there are other conferences where there are, there are bid stealers out there. There are teams out there that could steal some bids and make things a little bit more interesting. For me, that just means that BYU is really just not in a spot where this is going to happen for them. Even if a handful of teams that are on that bubble spot lose some bad games, I don't think BYU has enough of a resume to jump them. Doesn't mean that I don't think that they are good enough to play in the NCAA tournament. Doesn't mean that there aren't going to be at-large teams that I think BYU could beat or that have already beaten. But I just don't think that they're, they played so sloppy down the stretch. I really don't think that they have enough of an argument to see themselves playing in the, in the NCAA tournament this year. Final question of this segment from Christian. He says, Other than, of course, winning the WCC semi and championship games, what are three to four things you would like to see from the Zags that indicate they're tuning up for the big dance? Yeah, so I picked three things here. There are a handful of them, obviously, again, as you said, outside of winning the next two games, which would be pretty significant for them to do. 
Uh, the number one thing, far, far and away for me, bench production. There are a lot of things that kind of cropped up in the St. Mary's game and have cropped up the last few games that I, I know fans are somewhat concerned about with this Gonzaga team. A lot of them are, are legitimate concerns. For me, most of them are not things that I'm super worried about, but bench production is one of them. Lately, the bench has not contributed almost anything to this team. In the last three games, I talked about this last an episode later last week, last three games, Gonzaga has gotten 10 points from their bench combined. Seven of those 10 points came from Hunter Salas against Santa Clara. That's it. The, the rest of the guys combined three total points in the last three games. That is not good. Anton Watson has vanished as an offensive contributor. He's still playing good defense. He's still giving them decent backup center minutes, but he is a non-factor on offense. Nolan Hickman has been a non-factor on offense. Again, I think he plays fine defense, and I think his his actual production on offense hasn't been He's not constantly turning the ball over or making a bunch of terrible mistakes or missing a bunch of shots. He's just not giving them anything positive lately. I, I don't know whether it's a fatigue thing. This is a very long season, longer than they played in high school, whether it's just a, a loss of confidence thing, whether it's just a, a bad stretch of games, which happens to anybody at any level at any time. I'm not sure exactly what it is, but for the last couple of games, Gonzaga's bench has given them virtually nothing, and they will not make it to the national championship game or win the title if their bench is continuing to contribute virtual goose eggs offensively. That needs to change. And in these next two games, if we don't see contributions offensively or just all-around contributions from bench players, that's going to make me a lot more nervous going into the NCAA tournament. Number two, less turnovers. We talked about the St. Mary's game. They had 14 turnovers and only four assists. A huge credit to St. Mary's and their defense. They had a lot to do with why that happened, but that, that needs to get tightened up. They need to take better care of the basketball. We've seen them have some ebbs and flows this season where they had five-game stretches of incredible completely crisp, borderline perfect offense where they were barely turning the ball over. We've also seen some stretches of, of games where Andrew Nempard and the rest of the guards got a little sloppy with the basketball, with some careless passing, some some dumb mistakes. Uh, those are the kind of things that they just they can't happen from this point forward. They need to get cleaned up. And then the third thing, outside shooting. I specifically mentioned Andrew Nempard. I'm not trying to pick on him, but I, I he went five for nine against Santa Clara. A phenomenal outside shooting game from Andrew Nemhard. Since the month of February began, if you exclude that game, he is 5 for 24. That is 20.8%. Andrew Nemhard is a streaky outside shooter. I previously labeled him as a bad three-point shooter going into the season at the start of the season. He has proven me wrong in the sense that he has had some incredible hot streaks as an outside shooter. He's shooting over 35% on the season. Clearly, he is not a bad three-point shooter, but he is undoubtedly a streaky three-point shooter. And 20.8% in the month of February, again, barring one very good game, that is a problem for this team. He needs to be more consistent knocking down those outside shots. I don't mind that he takes them. I don't think that he should stop taking threes. Earlier in the season, I was kind of advocating for less outside shooting. I have changed my tune in that regard. More outside shooting is not a bad thing, obviously, provided they are good looks. Don't be hacking up ugly shots early in the shot clock. Nemhard and, and most, of the, most of the players on Gonzaga's team don't do that very often. They're well coached, and that's just kind of not the stuff that happens. So take good threes, take good shots. If you're open, throw it up there. 
but I just I want to start seeing that ball that ball go go through the net a little bit more, especially for Nempart. I think Strother's been shooting the ball pretty well lately. Ros Bolton's been very very good lately. Of course, Chet Holmgren has been complete money since the WCC tournament started from beyond the arc. If Nempart can get back to hitting 35 ish percent of his threes, I think this team's a lot more dangerous in March. All right, two segments down. Coming up, we're going to answer even more listener-submitted questions in the final segment of the show. Before we get there, though, I want to tell you all about Stat Hero. Stat Hero is NCAA's single-game pick'em, pits the star players against each other in an amazing hybrid between fantasy and sports gambling. Take control back from those handicappers that always seem to have the advantage. Start focusing on the players you know best with a gameplay that doesn't rely on big spreads, long odds, or funky props. Stat Hero gives you the advantage resulting in their gamers winning four times more often. Why? Because Stat Hero eliminates the mystery about who or what you are going up against. In addition to their pick'em games, they also have dozens of lineups you can comb through to take on head-to-head. They simply post sets of players for you to take on with the set of players you choose. Stat Hero is the easiest and fastest way to get your sport action fix. This simple, sleek gameplay will have you playing in minutes. This is what Daily Fantasy was meant to be. Sign up for free right now at stathero.com slash locked on and use promo code locked on for a 100% deposit match. That's stathero.com slash locked on. Use promo code locked on for 100% match. Today's episode is also sponsored by Built Bar. This is the time of year that I've pretty much given up on all of my New Year's resolutions, but not this year. I'm sticking to my resolution to eat right thanks to Built Bar. It almost feels like it's not really a resolution because I actually enjoy eating them. Have you tried the Puffs? If you haven't, you're missing out on one of Built Bar's best-tasting bars. Puffs are the first-ever protein-infused marshmallow. They're fluffy, they're marshmallowy, they're not just a protein bar, they're a treat. And they're covered in 100% real chocolate. In fact, all Built Bars are covered in 100% real chocolate, Puffs included. A typical candy bar can be anywhere from two to 300 calories. Most Built Bars contain 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. They have mint brownie, coconut, and coconut almond. And, new for this month, white chocolate cookies and cream. They are all delicious, and new flavors are coming out all of the time. Go to Built.com, use promo code LOCKED15, and you'll get 15% off your order. That's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. All right, segment three. Still, Andy Patton's still locked on Zach. Three more questions to get to today before the end of the show and, of course, the start of Gonzaga's run to the NCAA Tournament Championship, beginning with the semifinal game Monday night against the San Francisco Dons. This first question comes from AU on Twitter, who says, With the recent success of Tommy, will we see other schools show serious interest in Coach Michelson or Coach Powell after this year? Do you know if they aspire to leave anytime soon? So I think Gonzaga's assistant coaches always get a fair amount of interest or at least intrigue. I, I don't think that Tommy Lloyd's success at the University of Arizona is going to like very suddenly get a whole bunch of people super interested in Gonzaga's assistant coaches. People have been interested, were interested in Tommy Lloyd for a very long time, and he continued to refute offers. A head coaching job at the University of Arizona is a very lucrative offer, not just in financially, but also resource-wise and prestige and all of that. So I understand why he took that one, but he was getting other offers. I don't know how much attention Michelson has got, but I'll tell you this. I think it's very unlikely he goes anywhere. Michelson has moved into that kind of role where he could be the guy who takes over for Mark Few. 
Lloyd had that job for over a decade. Michelson now has that job. Michelson also hasn't been an associate head coach long enough to get the kind of job offers that Tommy Lloyd was getting and eventually obviously got from Arizona. So for Michelson, he's not going to leave for a job that's dramatically worse than Gonzaga's job because he's kind of in line to take that. And he's not going to get those kinds of offers because he hasn't proven himself for long enough. So I don't think he's quite in the mix to really realistically be looking elsewhere or getting offers that are going to entice him enough to leave. For Roger Powell, less confident about that. He obviously has not been at Gonzaga as long as Michelson, as long as Lloyd was there. I don't know how strong his like tie to the, the Spokane area is, how strong his you know feeling about being here is. He obviously loves the program. He wants to win basketball games. He's a very, very good coach. It would be a bummer to lose him. But if somebody came calling for an associate head coaching job at a Power 5 school when he's you know, third in line here, I could see him strongly considering that. And I would not blame him in any way for considering that job. How interested will people be? I don't know. Powell has an extensive history beyond just his time at Gonzaga. That makes it a little bit, that gives other teams a little bit more information about what kind of coach he would be. Whereas with Michelson and Lloyd, they were kind of just relying on how good is Gonzaga, how much of an impact these guys have. It's a bit of a challenging thing. I, I think it's difficult to know how these teams value coaches like this. Uh, but Powell certainly is, is, is a well-respected coach, a very talented coach, a, a big part of Gonzaga's success. And if other big, big-name schools come calling for him for, for bigger jobs, I could see him showing some interest. Next question comes from Christian. He says, after the Michigan-Wisconsin kerfuffle, maybe we can be more sympathetic to the Bennett blow-by and blow-bys in general. After the USF-BYU game, Mark, Few, or excuse me, Mark Pope flew past Coach Golden and the Dons. I know you don't like interpreting the motivation or intent, but the Bouye dunk at the end of the game was part of it. Here's the issue for me. If the team that's down has not stopped pressing or fouling, then it's a play-on situation. The mom- if the moment is authentic or genuine, genuine and not rubbing it in, why is it an issue? Okay, so a couple things here. One, Jamari Bouye admitted that his dunk at the end of the game between BYU and St. Mary, or excuse me, BYU and San Francisco was personal. So we kind of talked about, you know, the question was, oh, if you're not trying to rub it in, he he was, he was. And the reason that he had said that, he didn't give incredible specifics, but he said that there was words exchanged during the game, things that he heard that he was unhappy about. I have no idea what was said. I have no idea who said it. I am not going to speculate in the slightest about that because that is unnecessary to do. But he was he felt offended by something, upset about something, whatever it may be, enough that he wanted to show out. Now, he dunked the basketball in a game where BYU still appeared to be playing some level of defense. It was an emphatic dunk for his teammates, for his fans, for a program that is that winning that game cemented, as I have said, their spot in the NCAA tournament for the first time since 1998. It is an extraordinarily emotional, highly, highly strung event. For Bouye, a fifth-year senior, has been with this program from the get-go, getting the opportunity to play in the NCAA tournament in his final year in college is a, a level of joy and euphoria that I cannot imagine. <laughs> I cannot get myself to, to understand how intense that must be. So if he wants to throw down a dunk when BYU is, you know, they're not just standing there. If they were completely standing there doing nothing and he just threw down a, a dunk, yeah, okay. Yeah, I can see why that would make people unhappy. But he felt slighted by things that BYU, either fans or players or somebody was saying to him. He was pissed off. He was beyond thrilled at the opportunity to beat this team and go to the NCAA tournament, 
I don't care that he threw down this dunk. I do not. Mark Pope talking a bunch of crap about it after the game. Uh, Todd Golden defended Bouye. All of BYU, they were very upset about it. I, I don't. It, it basketball's emotional. People get emotional. They're going to get over it. <laughs> Everything's going to be fine. I'm not overly concerned about this. I think showing emotion is not a bad thing. I think showing up people really intentionally is is something that that should be punished or should be not. We we shouldn't celebrate that necessarily. I don't think that's what this was. Final question of the show: If you could pick a team that is not a likely top four seed in the NCAA tournament that could make a deep run, who would it be and why? So I used my good friend and former guest of the show, Lucas Harkins, who was on last week Tuesday's episode. He is an expert bracketologist. He was the second most accurate bracketologist last year, according to BracketMatrix.com. I used his most updated brackets to determine likely not top four seeded teams. The team that I'm picking, yes, a little bit biased here. The team that I'm picking is number five seeded Alabama. So most of the brackets, including Lucas's, have Alabama as a five seed. I've seen them as low as a six seed. I did not see any recent brackets that had them on the four line. So I'm going to say that they count for this exercise, although I think there's a chance they could sneak onto the four line, depending on how the SEC tournament shakes out. But when they play their best, they're really, really good. Alabama has beaten, obviously, Gonzaga. They've also beaten Baylor. They've beaten Houston. They've beat LSU, and they beat Auburn this year. That's a lot of really good teams that they can chalk up as having defeated. They've proven they can beat. Gonzaga and Baylor are your two most likely title favorites. If it's not the two of them, Auburn is right in that conversation. Three legitimate title favorites. Houston and LSU, very, very good teams as well. Alabama has also lost to some bad teams. They have 12 losses on the season. They're the kind of team that if you put them as a loss to a 12 seed, if you said this is a 12-5 upset I'm picking, depending who that 12 seed is, I could also see it. <laughs> We've seen this Alabama team play pretty darn bad at times this year as well. They're a big enigma. They're a really challenging team to pin down. But I think that when they're playing at their best, they are more capable than any other not top four team uh, at making a run all the way to the national championship. A couple other teams. Uh, UConn, I think, is is a really good team that's kind of right in that 5-6 range as well. Same with Arkansas. Haven't seen them as much, but when they're on, they're on, and they play really, really good basketball. And then, of course, a couple of West Coast teams got to toss St. Mary's in there. I, I think they're also a team that's very primed to potentially get upset early because they don't score the basketball very efficiently and they take so few possessions that that can cause them to, to run into some problems where they barely scrape 45 points in a game and they're not going to win a lot of games when they do that. Similarly, uh, Leon Rice's Boise State team. Boise State's the lowest-seeded team that I have in this conversation. They're mostly on the 7 line, maybe even 8-9 line, potentially. But when they're playing their best defensively, they're really, really good. I don't know that they have the offensive firepower to go on a run all the way to the Final Four of the National Championship. That would be an incredible, shocking run from the Broncos. But I think they're the kind of team that... I wouldn't be shocked if my bracket ends up having them in the Sweet 16. And I think I'd think hard, depending on the matchups, about putting them in the Elite Eight as well. All right, that is going to do it for me today. Two big WCC games on Monday evening. We're going to recap both of those games on Tuesday's show right here on the Locked On Zags podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts and available on YouTube. Check it out there if you have not already. Thank you for making Locked On Zags your first listen every day. Now is a great time to make your second listen of the day, the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Ryan Tracy and former NFL cornerback Eric Crocker 
Bring the NFL Draft to life every day with insight and analysis on college football prospects and NFL front offices. It's free and available wherever you get podcasts. All right, thank you all for listening, and go Zags.